This episode of New Politics was released on the 10th of February, 2024, and produced on the lands of the Wongal and Wajuk people. Welcome to New Politics. In this episode, the return of Parliament for 2024, and we look at all the big issues in federal politics. And the media keeps saying that the government is in the doldrums, but is it really true? I'm Eddie Djokovic, editor of New Politics. I'm David Lewis, Barnaby Joyce's neurological advisor. And just our regular message, if you'd like to support New Politics, you can support us through Patreon or Substack, or you can go to newpolitics.com.au and purchase one of our books. And all of this is a good way to support independent journalism. Parliament has returned for 2024 and the big focus of attention has been on the stage three tax cuts and most people have moved on from this decision but it is going to run for a little while within the media and also pushed by the Liberal Party as the broken promise that it's the worst thing that's ever happened in human history and there's a few other pieces of economic news that are starting to fall into place for the Labor government. The Reserve Bank announced that interest rates have been placed on hold for the time being. Inflation is coming down. It's at 4.1% which is still a little bit higher than the Reserve Bank would like. It is much lower than the 7.8% during 2022 and it is forecast to decrease further throughout 2024. So there is other economic news out there and there is a lot of other news out there as well. But the big focus is still on the supposed broken promise on the stage three tax cuts. It's not entirely clear how long this is going to go on for, but I think the media focus on stage three tax cuts is probably going to create more problems for the Liberal Party than it is for the government. Well, it's it's already happened. The Liberal Party tried to argue that tax cuts for lower income people were a bad thing. That didn't last long. You could hear the, the gears turning in the various shadow ministers' heads as they realised, wait a sec, <laughs> we're supposed to be on the side of people who are about to say they can't have a $15 a week pay rise, but it's a bad thing. Now, this week they've announced that they're actually going to wave it through. And I know Peter Dutton tried to frame it in the way that Paul Keating framed, I think, the GST, in that he wasn't going to get control of the Senate and block it. If the GST got through, they'd wave it through to demonstrate to the Australian public that uh, that's what they're voting for. Of course, this is a totally different thing. The GST was an extra tax. This is a reduction in tax. And of course, they're the party of American libertarianism, which the one of the fundamental ideas is that Ayn Rand idea, but but also the dry economic idea that tax is theft. So you can't say tax is theft and then oppose tax cuts to everybody. So they're now walking it back and it put them into a lot of trouble. And it also could be argued that now that the coalition has decided to support the amended version of the stage three tax cuts, that they've also broken a promise too. And they've actually been all over the place with this. Here's the deputy leader of the Liberal Party, Susan Lay. 100% of middle Australia will be worse off even if this proposed change goes through. So the Prime Minister and his ministers might talk about percentages and numbers, but really for those who are desperate for cost of living relief today, this proposed tax relief is about $15 a week and it doesn't kick in for five months 
and it takes 52 weeks of the year to actually get your entire tax cut. So 100% of middle Australia is worse off today as a result of this government's policies and there is no relief in sight. The Shadow Cabinet met in Perth yesterday and we're here listening as we always are to Australians across this country. And we're hearing back that uh, this lifetime tax on aspiration is not being loved anywhere in this country. So the justification for this whole measure, it just doesn't stack mm. up. It really doesn't. She did say that nobody likes this policy change, but in recent opinion polls, over 66% of people polled said that they think that it's a fantastic idea. She also said that it's a terrible policy. It's bad for 100% of the Australian community. It doesn't stack up. But it seems to be so bad that the coalition is now supporting it. Here's the Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, having a bit of a field day in Parliament this week. Now, let me give you two examples order, of the approach we're rejecting. Order, the the, the Shadow Treasurer on the Hume. same day called my changes Marxism. By the afternoon, he was on 2GB saying he might vote for them. <laughs> Mr Speaker, the opposition leader called for an election on a policy that he is now voting for. That would be a pretty strange election, Mr Speaker, and a pretty strange debate. Imagine how angry he would get Order. if this was about something he's voting against, Mr Speaker. The only clarity we get is from the member for Farrah. She was asked, will they roll back our changes? And she said, and I quote, that is absolutely our position. No matter what they say today, they are still out of touch. They still want to roll it back and they still have no alternatives. The role of the opposition is to remain relevant, but you also have to have something to offer. But all we're getting is this oppositional garbage and white noise that doesn't really make any sense. It's all contradictory, and maybe that's all they need to do at this stage. But 2024, as we explained last week, could end up being an election year. And I don't know if they're actually capable of it, but they just need to do a lot better than this. Having programmed themselves to oppose everything, they've now put themselves into the position where their opposition is finally starting to reap the wrong types of benefits. Stuff that they should be opposing, one might argue in good faith, particularly in the foreign affairs field, they're not doing either. So it, they've become a rabble. They've become directionless. They're bereft of explicable policy. They need a total reset. Whether Peter Dutton is capable of that, where they become a much more productive opposition, and really we've liked a productive liberal opposition since Tony Abbott, so that goes back a long, long, long way. And in fact, you might even say Brendan Nelson was the last productive opposition leader. And also, while they were in government, they behaved like an opposition party as well. Yeah, and they were certainly not productive. We're, we're seeing now with economic figures, with most of the, the usual rubrics used to measure a government, the Labor government is doing well, at least domestically. Not everything's perfect. Uh, I know some of you already started. And foreign affairs needs to be completely reset. But having said that, the Labor government is doing well. And in the past, we've suggested that the third year of a term has to focus on the economy, and that's exactly what the government is starting to do right now after pretty much meandering in its second year. And we're not saying anything spectacular here. That's how most governments are during their first term, and then they start sharpening up the pencils in the year leading up to the next election. Here's a snippet of the Prime Minister talking about what he's focused on for the year. We are focused very much on managing the economy. And if you look at where we'll be, where we are now, but where we'll be in the second half of this year, 
We will have real wages increasing. We'll have produced a tax cut for every Australian, but overwhelmingly benefiting middle Australia, but not leaving people behind. We'll continue to have economic growth. We've got productivity growing for the first time in a while. We have uh, our cost of living measures aimed at providing assistance, the increases in JobSeeker and the other mm. measures that we've done. We will be in a position which is to say we are strong managers of the economy. I think, though, that if, if you do what's right, that you know uh, we'll do the right thing and have the right impact, then the politics sometimes look after themselves. This is what governments should be doing at all times, focusing on the policy and the political rewards should follow. It doesn't always happen yeah. like that, but... That's no. what the focus should be on, good policy. And the Liberal National Party, they seem to have that process in reverse. Whether they're in government or opposition, they're focused on political outcomes first and the political benefits and hoping that there's some kind of good policy outcome from that. And in most cases, they're not even bothered about the policy outcomes. Politics trumps everything else. And the public always seems to be last on that list. And I think the public is starting to wake up to this. Not that the polls mean much in the middle of, of an electoral cycle, but we've found that the Liberal Party is just not increasing its numbers. Labor's not increasing its numbers either, and that's something to look at. But, yeah, the Liberal Party has basically stopped being a political party and has been a university debating club, always on the negative side. And with a little bit of work and a little bit of hard thinking and maybe a little bit of brutal purging, they need to get back to being a party that represents middle Australia and has sensible policies it can articulate and that it can demonstrate for the betterment of most of Australia. That's not to say that we necessarily agree with all those policies, but it's harder to criticise people with conviction who are trying to do better. Oh, and I think that's what they need to do. But you would think that the coalition would be trying to work out some decent policy. And I think that they will have quite a bit of time to do this. They'll probably be in opposition for at least the next four or five years. But what are they doing? They're at the rally against reckless renewables at Parliament House in Canberra. And they're calling for an end to wind and solar farms and questioning whether clean energy is in the national interest. And who's there? Well, there's Barnaby Joyce, Dave Littleproud, Matt Canavan, Jacinta Price, Michelle Landy and quite a few other Liberal National Party MPs. Malcolm Roberts from One Nation was there, as was Craig Kelly and United Australia Senator Rolf Babbitt. And Andrew Hasey from the Liberal Party also turned up, and here's what he had to say. I'm Andrew Hasty, and I'm here outside Parliament House in Canberra. And behind me is the rally against reckless renewables. Thousands of Australians across this country are waking up to the environmental and economic costs of wind and solar farms. And we have it coming to us in Mandurah very soon. There is a plan for a massive offshore wind project stretching from Rockingham all the way to Dunsborough. It'll pose great risk to our fisheries, our environment, and it will impose greater costs on working families and businesses in our area. I need your help to stand against this movement. And so please stay tuned for more on this subject. And apologies for the sound quality there, but maybe it's a good thing that he can't be heard so well. 
because there's no evidence for any of the comments that he's made. It's just a mindless fear campaign. And this rally also claims that renewable energy is taking over farming land, which is absolutely not correct. They weren't so concerned about all of that fracking and coal mining that was taking over the Liverpool Plains in New South Wales, and that's pretty much one of the breadbaskets of Australia. The world is moving on with renewable energy. The United States, China, European Union, they're all making major investments in renewable energy because they can see the writing on the wall for fossil fuel. And Australia is lagging behind, but it is making some progress, but it's just not enough. And all of this protest is on the fringes. This is all part of the cooker community. And you just have to wonder why the Liberal Party is getting involved with all of this. Now, of course, people have got a right to protest if that's what they want to do. But this is an extension of that lobby promoting the wind turbine syndrome, claiming that wind farms are bad for people's health, even though that so many international scientific reports have shown that this is totally incorrect and there's absolutely no evidence to support any of it. And we can see that the main reason that the Liberal Party is getting involved in all of this is because they act on behalf of their financial supporters in the mining and resources industry and also as I mentioned before because they always put politics first it's about the party finances it's about the self-interest of the Liberal Party and the National Party and it's never about the public interest and you'd think that they would have learnt by now they might be hard of hearing but they just don't want to accept what's happening in the world of renewable energy. Obviously, they're getting a lot of political support from traditional energy supply, gas suppliers in particular, but also coal and oil. And there's a section of that community that doesn't want to move from those resources. Although it still pleasantly surprised me, and credit where it's due, that Fortescue resources are moving towards renewable energy because Andrew Forrest saw the writing on the wall. Now, it doesn't mean to say that he's suddenly become a hero of mine. I worship the ground that he works on, and there'll still be stuff that he does that I will vehemently disagree with. But credit where it's due, and there's no point in picking stupid arguments over petty differences we might have on this type of stuff when he's clearly trying to work on the right side of history. And Dr. Lowitcher O'Donoghue has died. She was a child from the Stolen Generation. She was a nurse. She was a campaigner in the 1967 referendum. She received an Order of Australia in 1976. She was the Australian of the Year in 1984, Companion of Australia, lead negotiator for the Native Title Act, Chair of ATSIC, and it's fairly clear she was one of the great political leaders in Australian history. Uh, yeah, absolutely. She could be controversial, she could be forthright, she could be honest. She could annoy the type of people who like to get annoyed by strong, intelligent women, particularly if they're Indigenous. I don't think, though, you, there was any time that you could doubt her absolute commitment to Australia and the Australian Indigenous population. One of the towering figures of 20th and 21st Australian politics, an incredible amount of achievements and rightly lauded by all sides of politics. Her loss will be felt for years, but her legacy will also be felt for years. 
And Lois O'Donoghue, she was a brilliant campaigner, and this is what she had to say in 2016 about improving health outcomes for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. We must be fearless in our work for the health and the well-being of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island people. We must be fearless in our work for the Indigenous peoples of the world over. Now is the time that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people must take their rightful place at the heart of this nation. We have outstanding Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander leadership organisation in this country. They are more than capable to guide the decisions that need to be made in a way that is true to our cultures and will therefore have the right outcomes. In order to empower our capabilities, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island people must be at the centre of the decisions. We must work with government to get the job done. We want our non-Indigenous friends and colleagues to work with us, but it's important that we know when to step up and they know when to step aside. And in a lot of cases, governments haven't known when to step aside or have been reluctant to do this. And just this week, the Productivity Commission released a report about how poorly governments are doing with regard to the closing the gap process. And that relates to inadequate funding, not clearly outlining how they intend to reach the targets that have been identified in previous closing the gap reports. And the Commission also castigated the federal government for not outlining how they will proceed with the Makarata process. And we do get the same types of reports every year. It ends up being a disappointing report. More needs to be done. Nothing is done to make these improvements. And then the cycle continues. Now, the federal government did push forward the voice to parliament last year. And I don't actually think they did enough on this, but that's all in the past. When Lowitcher O'Donoghue was told about the results of the Voice of Parliament referendum last year, she did say that the struggle just needs to continue. There's no other option. And it's not a case where just because the Voice of Parliament referendum was defeated, that's the end of everything on reconciliation and Indigenous issues. It might have been defeated, but all of those issues of community-controlled Aboriginal-run organisations, shared decision-making, they just have to be arrived at in a different way. But the legacy of Lowitcher O'Donoghue demands that this process does need to continue, but it just needs to continue in a much better way. Yeah, I think hopefully as we're reflecting over her life and achievements and her victories and her defeats, those in charge will look at how we can build on what she's done in a positive and inclusive and and just and fair way rather than trying the same things over and over and over again, which haven't worked. Israeli forces have fired at a crowd of Palestinians who were waiting to collect humanitarian aid. It was the ninth day in a row that there were reports of Israeli troops firing at crowds in Gaza City. Palestinians had been gathering at the Kuwaiti roundabout there, desperate to pick up food for their families. Also, the Palestinian relief agency UNRWA says that Israeli forces opened fire on its trucks carrying humanitarian aid for northern Gaza. It's unclear exactly where the convoy was during that attack. Aid agencies say that Israel has been blocking aid to the north of the Strip. 
طبعا هذا اليوم هذه ليست أول مرة. And the funding for the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees has been suspended at whim, and it's on the basis of accusations made by the Israel government that there were 12 members of UNRWA involved with the Hamas attacks on Israeli civilians on October the 7th. Now, there's no evidence, there's no names, there was no investigation beforehand. The US Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, said that the US government hadn't had the ability to investigate the claims, but said that they are highly credible. Now, I'm not sure how you can say that the claims are highly credible if you haven't actually investigated them. So Australia has also suspended their funding as well, and I think that's quite a gutless decision. There's no evidence for Israel's claim, and if anything, it seems to be a retaliation from the humiliation that they received at the International Court of Justice several weeks ago. But in the meantime, the Israel Defence Force kills dozens of refugees at an aid handout in Gaza, And these are refugees that Israel has displaced and there's no action against Israel. And I think this is what angers a lot of people the most about what's happening in Gaza. Whatever Israel wants, Israel gets. The Israel Defence Force can do whatever it wants in Gaza. It can kill as many people as it wants. And it's up to 28,000 people over the past four months. And the world sits by and continues to say that Israel does have the right to defend itself. But accusations made on a whim, which are more than likely a fabrication, given the Israel government's past behaviours, that results in the Palestinian people being punished yet again. And I think that's what bothers most people, the lack of consistency in the total double standards. Again, it's not about Jewish people. It's not about the existence of Israel as a state set up in 1948 under what were meant to be vastly different terms. It's about a group within the Israeli parliament who were provoked by a Palestinian government that didn't have majority support of the Palestinian people and who are clearly acting in very bad faith. I was really, as a lot of people were, disappointed to see that Australia unilaterally cut the funding to UNRWA without a full and proper investigation. And it came out this week that, as you said, there was absolutely no basis, in fact, for the claims that were made that uh, there were Hamas members in UNRWA who were, what was it, funneling funds to Hamas rather than the people who needed it. And it doesn't really make much sense to cut funding if without that evidence. And even if they had the evidence, there were still ways to deal with it. You could put on strict conditions. You could halve the funding. You could ensure that the funding was went straight to the people who it needed to go to rather than through, you know. And Australia wasn't the only country who did it, but it seemed that it was more falling in line with an edict given rather than a, a thoughtful and considered decision. I think This week's going to be interesting, and I wonder how much. I wonder if funding will be quietly bought in, or are they going to double down about it? And the Australian Greens have been quite vocal about what's happening in Gaza and highly critical of the one sided approach taken by the Australian government in their support for the Israel government. But not everyone in the Labor government is happy about what's going on there. Here's Josh Wilson, the federal member for Fremantle. The truth is that Gaza is being bombed into rubble, with 70% of buildings damaged and the entire population being squeezed further and further south in starvation conditions without basic medical services. In Ukraine, a nation of 25 million, in the course of 24 months, 10,000 civilians have been killed, 
In Gaza, a district of two million, in four months, 28,000 civilians have been killed, two-thirds of whom are women and children. It is wrong, and it has to stop. Deputy Speaker, I will always be an advocate of peace and non-violence. I'll always be rigorously critical of military action, because history tells us that violence almost never solves anything, and state-sponsored violence almost always causes enormous disproportionate harm to innocent people. So there are more government backbenchers who are starting to make some more noises about the Labor government's total disinterest on what's happening in Gaza. And who knows, they might have some interest, but they're just not doing anything about it. So this is just a tiny bit of movement from the Labor backbench, but a lot more needs to be done to put pressure on the government of Israel. And if it doesn't happen soon, it's just going to end up being too late. This is New Politics with Eddie Djokovic and David Lewis, one of Australia's top 10 podcasts on Australian politics and news commentary. You can also find us at newpolitics.com.au and you can also support us through Patreon and Substack. And with the beginning of the political year, it's also time for opinion polls. And there were two that were recently released, News Poll and the Morgan Poll, showing 52 and 53% in the two-party preferred vote for the government. And this is actually higher than what they received at the 2022 federal election. But the media keeps pushing that narrative that the Labor government is in the doldrums. Here's an exchange between the ABC, Sarah Ferguson, and the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese. At the end of last year, you had suffered a number of reverses, particularly the voice referendum. Do you now feel that with this, you have got your mojo back? I never lost it, Sarah. It's not what the poll said. Well, actually, we're ahead. We haven't lost, we haven't lost a news poll since I've been Prime Minister. If you go back and look at the cycle uh, in the middle of the term, uh, historically, I, I was here during John Howard's years. He was always behind at various points in between each cycle, uh, as have governments been uh, historically. That was obviously incorrect, and a simple Google search would have shown that the comment from the journalist was incorrect, yet that narrative continues, even with the scores of researchers these people have available to them. The Labor government has come down from the high levels of support in the opinion polls that it had up until mid last year, but it has never been in an election losing position. Yet the media keeps pushing that narrative that the government is in a lot of trouble, and that's the main reason why they've made these changes to the stage three tax cuts. Their strategy seems to be to win at all costs and to use whatever. Now, it was lazy journalism, whether it came straight out of the Liberal Party or whether the whether she was trying to create a, a narrative where none existed to try and maintain a sense of relevance and importance in a, in a dying media landscape. I don't know, but she walked right into it. And again, you know, we've discussed this in the past, that the mid-term or mid-electoral cycle polls are pretty meaningless. But it's fairly telling that news poll, who tend to tilt towards the more conservative side of politics, as opposed to the Guardian Essential, which tends to tilt towards the more progressive side of politics. A news poll can't fill the numbers to close the gap in any way. So it looks like the government is doing pretty well with the public. 52 and 53% are election winning margins. So if the election was called next week, there'd be a pretty decent chance that 
Labor would come back with the same result they have now, maybe a little bit less. But I don't think they're ready yet to call an election. I think if they call an early one, it'll be towards the end of this year rather than the beginning of this year or even the middle of this year. I'm just wondering whether this media narrative is, as you mentioned, David, a little bit of laziness, they're politically compromised or just engaging that horse race journalism that the US academic Jay Rosen talks about. Maybe it's a combination of all of those things, but there's just no checks and balances. They just keep repeating the same poor material until it becomes an accepted fact, even if it's not actually true. And one other point is that pollsters generally look at long-term trends, and this is one thing that's not picked up by the people in the mainstream media. And even if there are blips here and there, the long-term polling just doesn't support the coalition at all. And David, you and I are the researchers at New Politics. We're also the presenters, the editors, the promoters, the publishers. But these media outlets have got a team of researchers to do a lot of the work for the presenters, but they can just never seem to get that information right. And I spent about five minutes on Google to collate the following data. But since the 2016 federal election, there have been 450 opinion polls. And the coalition has only been ahead in 37 of those, or around 8% of all opinion polls, and 26 of those 37 occasions were during a nine-month period after the COVID pandemic commenced. And if you take those occasions away, that number where the coalition has been ahead in the polls comes down to just 2%. So outside of the unusual time of COVID, when all incumbent governments had a massive support within the public, the coalition has just been favoured in opinion polls on only 2% of occasions over the past seven and a half years. So to suggest that the Labor government is in the doldrums at the moment, or they're panicked, or they're in freefall, this is just totally incorrect. And the long-term and the short-term evidence just does not support that. There's, I think there's a whole range of factors. The unlikability of their leadership and policies is obviously a, a, a big one, but it's not the only one. I think we're heading towards a, a reset in how politics is done. We've seen how independent candidates are starting to take seats and the Liberal Party is not learning. Instead of saying, oh, people like Kylie Tink and Zoe Daniel and Monique Ryan won our extremely safe seats, the foundation from which we got all other seats and they, they took it away from us. Instead of saying, what was it that they had that we don't? They instead look at doubling down, running the same people in the same seats as if that's going to work. I don't know that Tim Wilson has improved his popularity in the seat of Goldstein. Or his credibility. He says he has, but actions speak louder than words, and his actions are whispers, and his words are shouts. Dave Sharma, well, he's in the Senate now. And there's another problem. With a Senate vacancy, they had the chance to bring in new enthusiastic blood, but their choices were between four losers, four people who'd lost winnable seats, and all men, too. Of course, why the Teal independence won, and I don't think a lot of people grasp this, is that they held quite economically conservative views. Lower taxes, lower wages, higher incentives for investors. And they were never shy about this. Where they started to differ was in terms of some other social policies, better policies for women, uh, more protections for women in public spaces, etc. But also uh, environmental issues. And their constituents, having looked at both sides, preferred a improved environment to what the Liberal Party was offering at the time, which was more of the same. 
I wonder if there is a younger generation of Liberal members who don't get the airtime, who are closer in line with the so-called teal independents. What the current Liberal Party has been really good at is purging moderates from their representatives. And that's now, I think, been shown to be a tremendously bad long-term strategy because they won't, they're not going to get Wentworth back. They're not going to get Kuyong back. They're not going to get Warringah back. They're not going to get North Sydney back. They haven't been able to get Mayo back. They haven't been able to get Indi back. And the general trend is that with a couple of very notable exceptions, independents tend to only last one or maybe two terms, but usually one. In this case, just going by how popular they are and how well they are doing the job of local representative too, and that has to be said, which is something that some of the other Liberal members never really understood. The Liberal Party can't win them back. So I guess whatever's happening right now and all of those opinion polls that we talked about, all of those things that might be happening in those former Liberal Party held seats, there is that old cliche that the only poll that really counts is the one on election day, and that's absolutely correct. And despite all of those one-sided opinion polls over the past seven and a half years, there have been two elections during that time, and the Liberal National Coalition and the Labor Party have both won one election each. But even still, these long-term numbers suggest that the Liberal National Coalition is not offering the public what they're after, and the long-term demographic data leading into the future also suggests that they won't be offering what the public is after for a long, long time. And they've got a leader who is highly negative, highly regressive, highly destructive. This is what the former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull had to say about him. If I said the name Peter Dutton, what one word springs into your mind? Thug. And right on cue, Peter Dutton turned up to the ABC and started behaving like a thug. But he's not a monster. <laughs> That's right, he's not a monster. I just think it's such an ABC perspective, if I might say. Um, all the culture so far left within the ABC just seems to permeate through many questions. Any journalist that's putting that analysis there, apart from The Guardian, uh, apart from you know, some of the other left-wing online publications, Situation. my numbers have gone up something like 20 points over the last 12 months, which uh, not something that you would acknowledge in this program, but that's the reality. Uh, the Prime Minister has a greater net unfavourable uh, number than I do, um, not something you'd point out. Uh, so I'm perfectly comfortable with where we are. And as usual, David, we are just trying to help out the coalition with all of our free advice. We normally charge a fortune for this, but here we are providing all of this information to the Liberal Party free of charge. But the one-sided and overt support from the mainstream media just seems to mask all of the problems that the Liberal Party has currently got. They go on to 2GB, they appear on Sky News, they get boosted by news corporation publications, they lash out at the ABC and The Guardian, they claim that everyone else is woke... And then they get the impression that they are actually doing a good job. They're encouraged by the mainstream media with their nonsense and their lies and their Trump-inspired idiocy. Now, Donald Trump is an absolute fool, but he's a genius, or at least he's a stable genius compared to these people in the Liberal Party. And that type of politics might work in the United States, but it just doesn't seem to work in Australia anymore. It did get Tony Abbott elected and also got... Scott Morrison elected, but I just think that the public has moved on from this type of behaviour. And if the Liberal Party had any sense, 
and I don't think they have at the moment, they'd be looking, as, as you suggested, David, they'd be looking at the Teal independents and thinking, we need to be more like them. They've taken our seats in Liberal Party heartland areas, and if we want those seats back, we have to behave respectfully and professionally and just make ourselves look like we belong to the modern world. And, David, we keep offering all of this free advice to the Liberal Party, and they're just not listening. They're just happy to play with their extremist views, appeal to the fringes and play their political games. And I think that for as long as they keep doing this, they will remain unelectable. It's failing all over the world. I know a lot of people think that Donald Trump will be president. I don't think he will. I don't think the numbers are there. Rishi Sunak in Britain, the Conservative Party is finished, possibly permanently. In Australia, the Liberal Party, with the possible exception of New South Wales, is completely finished. And South Australia, but everywhere else, there's no real path back without a massive change. I know that there's an election in Queensland this year, but I suspect the Miles government will be returned. Just looking at at it briefly as I have, I don't think the Liberal Party has much of a chance. Of course, they're saying they have a chance and you'd expect that, but I don't think they have much of a chance. I think we're we're, we're starting to go through the death of this neoliberal media-controlled narrative of far-right if you go woke, you go broke. Well, this is the time of moderation. Yeah, exactly, which which we've needed. We've needed it for at least 35 years. Neoliberalism failed pretty much from the get-go, but it succeeded for just enough powerful people that they were able to help hold on to it. But with an internet, with different forms of communication, and yes, we see extreme views coming through, but we also see more moderate views in the background and people moving away from what we've been told is the way to go. So we're living in a time of great transition and the next election too is going to be interesting. That's it for this episode of New Politics. Thanks for listening in. And if you'd like to support our style of journalism and commentary, please make a donation at our website at newpolitics.com.au. We don't beg, plead, beseech or gaslight you about journalism coming to an end. We just keep it very simple. If you like what we do, please send some support our way. It keeps our commitment to independent journalism ticking along. I'm Eddie Djokovic. Thanks for listening in and it's goodbye to our listeners. I'm David Lewis. We'll see you next time.